Jesus. Hallelujah. Can't wait till that day comes. Amen. Amen. When I'll fly away. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Such a wonderful presence of God in this place. I feel like there's expectancy in the air. Just so thankful for what God is doing in our church. Amen. You know, I was telling Pastor today, and I mentioned it to my husband last week. I think it's been since August sometime. Every Wednesday, it has rained. Every Wednesday, it has rained without fail. And I mentioned it to him last week, and I, I said, maybe the Lord is trying to get something of us, you know? Something about the former. The, great, the, the latter shall be greater than the former. <laughs> the blessings of the Lord. Hey, who knows, right? There has to be. I mean, there doesn't have to be a spiritual attachment to it, but I just like to think that, right? Rain, not gloomy, but blessings. Blessings. <laughs> All right, so we are continuing the Emotionally Healthy Christian. We are on Lesson 3, and this week we are teaching on the discipleship's next frontier, emotional health. Let's get right into it. With one breath, God made us human. How many of you are human here today? I sure hope all of you raise your hands. We're all human here today. <laughs> I'm very human. Yet somehow, today, we slice out the emotional portion of who we are, deeming it sus suspect, irrelevant, or of secondary importance. Contemporary discipleship models often put more emphasis or esteem the spiritual more than the physical, emotional, social, and intellectual components of who we are. But we must treat the person as whole. Does everybody understand that? We're whole beings. We are not divided. There's no schism, or there shouldn't be any schism in the body. But we should treat ourselves as a whole human being, not split up into the spiritual being in this uh, carnal flesh being. We're, we've got different components that make us who we are. The, so let's go right into the Copernican. Is that right? I, I So horrible with English sometimes. Thank you, the Copernican. Thank you. Revolution needed today. For at least 1,400 years, it was universally accepted and mathematically proven that the earth was the center of the universe. Ptolemy, the great ancient Greek astronomer, demonstrated it so, and everyone accepted the fact that the sun and universe revolve around the earth. Now we know that's not true, right? <laughs> then Copernicus, a Polish scientist in the 1500s, challenged the assumption followed later by Galileo. They saw that there were inconsistencies with this long-standing view of the world and now presented a new radical idea or paradigm. The new paradigm shook the foundations of how society and church viewed themselves. It was deeply unsettling to admit that people were only a small speck in a vast galaxy. You think about it, I mean, you think that the whole world revolves around you and it really doesn't. 
<laughs> Everything. The galaxy revolves around you, and then you find out, nope, doesn't revolve around you at all. Um, so the, the thinking of that. Galileo was found to be vehemently su suspected of heresy. Can you imagine just thinking differently and then voicing that opinion, knowing you're studying and you're finding things out and you're, and you're thought of and looked upon as being suspected of heresy. What are you doing? You're changing our thinking, our view of, of seeing things. And eventually he was condemned and put on, sorry about that, on house arrest for life. He was also forbidden to publish. A lot of scientists in that time, and even today, um, you know, doctors and things like that, they have to do research, and they have to put out, they have to publish papers to prove their theories or different things that are coming out, um, but he was forbidden. He couldn't even speak about it. So can you imagine all of that? The more Galileo studied the movement of stars and planets, um, I had no one prove this for me. Usually I'm the one who proves everything. So I'm so sorry. I thought I did a better job. In light of uh, uh, Ptolemy's system, the more it became clear that it was not true. From that point on, everyone began to look at the universe with a new set of glasses. All kinds of prior information and data could be considered and analyzed in new ways. A shift like this to a new model or paradigm can be uh, thought of as, as a kind of conversion. And the, um, the word, the word there, paradigm, is being used on purpose because it's defined by Thomas Kuhn in his book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, has a way of seeing and thinking about reality. Do you understand that? Paradigm is understood to be a way of seeing and thinking about reality. It is the lens, the filter through which we interpret the data and information of our lives. And today we still use that phrase, the Copernican revolution, to describe a whole new way of looking at life one that shakes the foundations of how we feel, think, or see things. In 1 Corinthians 13, 11, and 12 in the Amplified, I thought this was really neat how the Amplified version um, has it here. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then, when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Now I know in part, just in fragments, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known by God. For now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly a blurred reflection a riddle, an enigma. But then, when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Now I know in part, just in fragments, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known by God. So, in your own words, what does the scripture say to you? And there was a lot there. 
the first verse, yes, Brother Redway. It says you should grow up. I was a child. Not a child anymore. I need to grow up. Yes, Brother Al. That's right. And even in the now, the more we get in contact with God and in the word of God, we start seeing ourselves for who we truly are. That's good. But when we see him, we're going to be perfect like he is. We're going to truly see ourselves. And we're going to be transformed, man, into him. Anyone else? that we go through, things that happen in our life, it doesn't make sense, but God knows all things. He sees our imperfections. Right. We will see it clearly. Mm -hmm. It makes sense then, right? It makes sense now, I should say. It makes sense now. It didn't make sense then, but it makes sense now. Then when we encounter God and his word like we are intended, and that is every day, we should be encountering God and his word every day. We should have a set time if we can to just have a moment with the Lord, to just behold him as he is. And um, just let the word of God penetrate us. We will have no choice but to change from childish behaviors and become an adult. You can't stay a child forever. And knowing the, the word of God more and more, it causes us to grow up because we start seeing what we need changing. So it causes us to grow up. And when we see our reflection in his word, we understand better. So the idea of emotional and spiritual health is, is inseparable. It will amount to a Copernican revolution for many of us Christians. It's not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. If you're spiritually mature, then you're going to be emotionally mature as well. And we're going to get into that. For some reason, however, most Christians today live as if the two concepts have no intersection. Our standards of what it means to be spiritual totally bypass many glaring inconsistencies. So let's talk about some of the things that we have learned to accept. We have learned to accept that you can be a dynamic Gift a speaker for God in public and be an unloving spouse and parent at home. And that's so sad. We have accepted that. That's a lot of inconsistencies because we don't put those two together. We don't put the spiritual and the emotional, this flesh, together. We don't see ourselves as a whole. So when I go to church, I'm going to behave one way. And when I'm at home, I'm going to behave another. That shouldn't be so. Second one, you can function as a church board member or pastor and be unteachable, insecure, and defensive. That's not good. 
I'm, I'm thankful that I have a pastor over me and that my pastor has a pastor. Not, not ev- you know, if you, if you don't have someone over you, then you have no authority. And we talked about this on Wednesday, uh, um, sorry, on Sunday night, how in order for you to have authority, you need to be under authority. And so you don't have authority if you're not under authority. It flows down. Amen. So if you have, if you're, uh, if, if you're going to be a pastor, church board member, all of that, you need to be able to be teachable. And that's for any of us. We need to be teachable. None of us are perfect and above uh, being taught something new. Amen. You can memorize entire books of the New Testament, or let's just say the whole Bible, and still be unaware of your depression and anger, even displacing it on other people. Because you don't want to deal with it. And so you push it on somebody else. You may know the word of God, but if, it, if you're not living it, then it's useless. You need to be able to live the word of God. You can fast and pray a half a day a week for years as a spiritual discipline and constantly be critical of others, justifying it as a discernment. That's not discernment. That's being mean. <laughs> Let's just be a mean. The Bible says to tell the truth in love, you know, <laughs> and that love covers a multitude of sins. You want to talk to somebody, talk to them aside. Don't embarrass them. <laughs> Don't be critical. Love on them. Show them a better way. You can lead hundreds of people in a Christian ministry while driven by a deep personal need to compensate for a nagging sense of failure. You think of yourself as a, fa- as a failure. Like, you know, they need to be perfect. Everybody just needs to be doing this right. Because you feel like you need to compensate for, for not doing it yourself. You understand? Any discussion about any? Okay. Having that nagging sense of failure, you need to compensate. So you lead hundreds of people in a Christian ministry while driven by a deep personal need to compensate for a nagging sense of failure. There are a lot of people who push themselves to be better because probably they weren't praised enough. They were probably put down. Um, In ministry, it could be in their home, just your past itself. If you look at where you came from and you see that you have failed at certain things, well, I'm going to see what I can do to lead these people so they don't have to go through the same things that I did, which is a good thing. But if you constantly see yourself as a failure and you push, you push them, but you don't really deal with your feelings, with your emotions on them, then that's wrong. You're accepting that. And you should be able to take care of those feelings. You need to be able to give those to the Lord. There's no reason why we should be carrying things. And that could be um, what we talk about, how the devil likes to condemn us. If you have that nagging feeling, that sense of failure, then you're feeling condemned all the time. And you haven't really dealt with that. Does that make better sense? Yes. And there's a lot of people in leadership that do that. They still feel condemned. And so they have to feel like they have to prove and keep pushing and keep pushing. But 
God already did all the work at Calvary. And so it's just a matter of accepting that forgiveness and having, and we're going to talk about it more as we go, but we need to be open unto the Lord, fully open. I mean, expose ourselves for what we really are. And that's hard to do because that means we have to look in ourselves. And how dare we look in ourselves and, and then <laughs> expose that to the Lord. Like he doesn't see it anyway. Right. We, we put that mental block in our heads, you know, that picture that God can't see it if we don't, if we don't tell him. But he does see everything. We just have to be honest with ourselves. I hope that explains it a little bit better. You can pray for deliverance from the demonic realm when in reality you are simply avoiding conflict, repeating an unhealthy pattern of behavior traced back to the home which you grew up. Have you ever heard people, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Well, what about you decide to turn around and stop doing that? (laughs) It's not a demonic thing. It's a choice. It's a decision. (laughs) So turn and stop, you know, stop what you're doing and stop rebuking it because if it's you, it's, if it's you that you're doing it, <laughs> your flesh, then you can't rebuke flesh. You just can't rebuke flesh. Sister Ellen, right, not everything is the devil. He gets way too much credit for things that he doesn't even do. Right, or just widen. No, you didn't pray? Well, <laughs> you rebuke the devil for not letting me pray today. No, you have to make that time to pray, Brother Tryon. And, you know, we are, this, this whole s- uh, set of lessons that we're doing on the Emotionally Healthy Church, I was reading um, the book, it's, um, it's a spin-off of this one, um, and, it's, uh, and it gives a, a story in there about um, a pastor who, um, a lady minister, a lady pastor who is meeting with um, the author of the book, and telling him how this is so hard. You know, I'm pastoring this church, and um, my husband, my husband and I, don't e- we only see each other once a year. We come together and we see each other once a year, because he also pastors a church in a different location, and um, and so they were. 
they were together for that day. And the next day, the husband had to leave on a train ride. And their son, who was about six to eight, something like that, six to eight years old, sees his daddy leave and says, Daddy, wait, don't leave. And the father looks at his son and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. And that may seem, and it is extreme. It is extreme, ridiculously extreme. But the mentality was, I'm going to put, right, God first, but to, (laughs) you know, to the extreme. And then sacrifice my family in the process. You're not even present for your child or your wife. Um, Because they're so kingdom-minded that there's no balance. You understand? Putting the church first. That's not putting God first. That's putting the church and religion and this is your ministry. Right. It is your pride. Correct, Brother Al. All of it. You're putting, you know, nobody else is going to do it. So I have to do it. No. God is big. He's greater than anyone else. And if it's his church, his kingdom, he'll provide. But he's not going to ask you to sacrifice your family in the process. Your family is your first ministry. And you should be there to take care of your spouse and your children. I mean, that poor child is scarred for life. So I don't matter. You know, and so we have to be careful. And um, I just share that because, you know, Pastor, what he said, and it's so true. You think, well, if I just focus on the church and what needs to get done, then everything else will be taken care of. Well, God has given you responsibilities as a person we can't be so, we can't, we can't divide the spiritual. And this is what the whole point of this lesson is. We can't divide the spiritual and the, and the physical, okay? And the, and the emotional and everything that comes with, with being a human. It's just, we are humans. We have needs. So, Brother Kane. Right, and then if if you're seeking the Lord, wouldn't he tell you, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, right, right. Brother Tryon. We gotta again um, reflect. What are our priorities? What are we doing? Are we healthy? And not just physically, but emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy. Are we doing the right things? All right. Um, next one. You can be outwardly cooperative at church, but unconsciously try to undercut or defeat your supervisor by coming habitually late constantly forgetting meetings, 
withdrawing and becoming uninterested or ignoring the real issue behind why you are hurt and angry. I'm not going to get into that one. But we can dwell on that one. Plato in the church. Where did we get the idea that spiritual maturity can be achieved apart from the integration of the emotional aspects of who we are? Where did we get that idea from? That you can separate the two. Being spiritually mature and emotionally mature. Anyone care to answer? So it, it is a loaded question, and, it's all, and I can see your wheels turning. You know, you're thinking about this because we should think about it. Um, if you're spiritually mature, you're going to be emotionally mature as well, meaning you're not going to, let's just put it in, in, you know, a child throwing a tantrum to get what it wants. Well, you hope that when that child grows, it's being taught that you can't throw a tantrum to get your way. You're going to teach it how to properly ask for what they want. And then you'll will you will supply that to them. As they get older, they're going to be maturing enough not to throw that tantrum, hopefully. You're teaching them properly. They're not going to throw that tantrum, so they're maturing physically and also emotionally because they're not throwing that tantrum. You understand that? Same thing with the spiritual. There are things that we deal with every day. At home, at work, at church, at school. And your first initial reaction, I mean, we're all, we are emotional creatures. We are going to react. God gave us these emotions for a reason. Not so that we can be, you know... I don't know, limp, you know, without emotions. Um, and you might deal with a situation, might fa be faced with a situation where you just want to scream, you know. Um, how to properly deal with that situation. How do you properly deal with that situation? If you want to be spiritually and healthy, if you are spiritually and healthy, mature, or you want to mature, how do you deal with that? Brother Sam, you pray. Do everything, right? By prayer and supplication. Lord Jesus, help me to deal with this. <laughs> How do I deal with this situation? Right now, I feel like doing this. And it's okay to say that to the Lord. He's the one you should be saying that to. And then say, Lord, how do I handle this? And because you're asking him and you're getting in his word, then wow, I'm spiritually mature. And now, emotionally mature, too, because I'm not going to scream somebody's head off. I'm not going to take whatever emotion I have and throw it at somebody else. Not every emotion, I mean, you should feel all the emotions, but we need to be mature about them, just like we are spiritually mature. And as we have, again, a closer relationship with God and we're talking with him, he shows us. He sheds light in our life. And so then we can, okay. I know what emotion to put out. Okay? Yes, Sister Ellen.
it's true. It's true. And again, this is making us take a real hard look at ourselves and see where we are. And for a long period of time, we've gone where we just have to do. We just have to deal with it, suppress those emotions, and just deal with it. And we need to be able to let out those emotions, but give them to God first and let him teach you how to deal with those emotions, you know, to rightfully, you know, just do what you need to do, not ignoring your family, not ignoring the work of God, but being able to do both and find, okay, what is it that I, I need to do? What am I able to do? And not just push things aside. All right, Sister Shaila. And that's being spiritually mature right there because sometimes we don't know what to do. And so we need to seek for higher help from the ministry or someone else that has been has gone through it. And that's being mature. You're mature enough when you know, okay, I can't handle this. Let me go to an expert or somebody else that can. That's good. All right. So as we grow in God, and in his word, we will know that even though emotions play a big part of our lives, we need to learn when it's acceptable to let them get involved and when it's not. And we just basically talked about all of that. Uh, the Greek philosopher named Plato, who lived several centuries before Christ, had influence through a, a variety of persons in the church history, such as uh, Augustine. And he continues to impact us today. The unspoken message in many of our churches is the body is bad. Remember, crucify, crucify, the flesh. The spirit is good. Somehow a subtle message has filtered into our churches that to be human, to be emotional is somehow sinful or at least, or, or le or at least less than spiritual. This comes far more from Platonism and Gnosticism than from the Holy Scripture. Most people, when asked what it means to be formed in the image of God, focus only on the spiritual. Okay, Psalm 8, 5. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Colossians 1, 15 who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. When we think of modeling our lives after Jesus in areas such as prayer, reading the word, serving others, tithing, and worship, and those things are good. We should be modeling ourselves after Jesus in those things. The only problem is that we are more than spiritual beings. God made us whole people in his image. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. That includes physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and social dimensions. 
consider the following illustration. There's not more than, than another. Right. We are a whole being made up of all of those physical, spiritual, emotional, the intellectual, the s and the social. Denying any aspect of what it means to be fully human, a fully human person made in the image of God, carries with it catastrophic long-term consequences in our relationship with God, with others, and with ourselves. I mean, if you focus on one thing more than the other, you're not going to be balanced. Soon you're going to crash and burn. It's not good. We will become unhealthy when we fail to see ourselves as whole people made in the image of our creator, God. We tend to exalt the spiritual over the other critical aspects that make us human. We ignore the physical. Who has time to exercise or to eat right or to get enough rest? Our body will perish anyway. That's the mentality of some people. What's the point? I mean, we're all going to die at some point. So, thumbs up. <laughs> Let's eat, 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 you know. The social. Don't worry about those friendships. Kingdom work is what really counts. You'll have time to be with friends in heaven. <laughs> Whatever happened to, you know, ministering and testifying. <laughs> you can't do that if you're just so, you know, <laughs> not thinking I'm not going to be social. Yes, Brother King. Yes, he was. And he had close friends, too. He had friends, and he had close friends, and he was friends with sinners. So you can't be too spiritual to not have friends, right, like Jesus did. Yes. You're not. And the thing is, is that Jesus, again, was fully God, fully man. And, again, we only focus on the spiritual part of Jesus and not the human side. He had friends. He had a childhood. He had to grow up. He had to eat like we do. He had to sleep, you know. The intellectual. Be cautious of developing your mind or studying too much. You'll end up with no heart for God. Okay? So then I guess we're not going to have any doctors or lawyers or, you know, teachers, engineers, uh, you name it. Mm, or scientists, you know. We saw Brother Poe. Look at him. You know, he got his, his M.D., PhD, all of that wonderful stuff, you know, in science. Okay, the emotional. It seems that when you get in touch with your feelings, you become more confused and no closer to God. Be cautious of psychoizing the gospel. <laughs> no deep thinkers here, right? <laughs> Who was it that said, be angry and sin not? Paul. Fill in the blank there is Paul. And who said, be slow to anger? James. James. Why? Because we do get angry. We can't suppress every feeling. 
it's okay to be angry. The Bible says it's okay to be angry. Just don't sin. Be careful. And then James said, be slow to anger. Exactly. Don't blow up. Take it easy. Breathe. (laughs) Breathe. In the minds of uh, many today, the repression of feelings and emotions has been elevated to the status of spirit or virtue, denying anger, ignoring pain, skipping over depression, running from loneliness, avoiding confusing doubts, and turning off natural desires has become a way of working out our uh, our spiritual lives. In The Cry of the Soul, Dan Allender and Tremper Longman describe why it is so important to listen to and deal with our emotions. And it says, they say, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions usher us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of soul, of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world. We are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. How do you become vulnerable to God? What are some things you do in your prayer walk to open yourself up to God? For the ad. <laughs> oh, poor Jesus. Okay. I do the same thing when I get really frustrated and then uh, but I'm also I'm apologizing every every other word you know Jesus I'm so angry I'm so sorry I'm yelling I'm so sorry I'm so angry you know I shouldn't be angry um um well we should be vulnerable to God but a lot of people aren't because they've been hurt so much you know we the the physical our relationship with our parents with our siblings with our coworkers especially parental they are supposed to reflect that of the spiritual you know thank god you know for some of us thank god it didn't 
But if, and then that's where I'm going. If you haven't, how are you going to become vulnerable to God? If you haven't really been able to, to be that with your natural family, or you've been hurt by uh, a spouse or, you know, someone in your past um, that hurt you deeply. And so it's hard. And that's why a lot of people, you know, it's hard for them to come to an altar because they don't want to have to up open themselves up. They're afraid of what's going to come out, what they're going to see. And so the question, I didn't put a blank there on the bottom or anything because I want you to ponder this, you know. How is it that you become vulnerable to God? If the answer is, I don't know, then you need to explore that. You need to truly explore that. Am I being vulnerable with God? Am I truly telling him my heart, how I feel, my emotions? Am I just letting him have it, you know, all of it? Because he wants it all. He does. He wants all of our emotions. He wants our heart tattered, torn, ugly. He wants it because he wants to make it something beautiful. And how can he make it something beautiful if you're not allowing yourself to become vulnerable? Brother Charney. And we're going to touch on that. It's in your lesson, too. It's just confirmation. It's confirmation. It's confirmation because he wants that relationship. He created us in his image, and that was it, to spend time with us, to just walk with him. You know, song goes, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And that's what he wants. Um, I saw other hands flying. Was it Brother Crane? Yes.
Every time I just think about him and his love, you know, and the ugly parts of me, and I think, oh, you know, I can trust him with that. I really can. He's not going to judge me unjustly. Nope, he's a just judge. He's a just God. And he is our redeemer. He He's the one that advocate, advocates for us. He's our advocate, you know? Not only is he our judge, but he's our advocate. He pleads our case for us, you know? How beautiful is that? So we can trust him with whatever we have because he's not going to judge us too harshly. He really isn't. And then you can become vulnerable. That's good. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Maria. was human. He was spiritually, emotionally mature. didn't just talk about it. He wasn't so spiritual. He was human. He was human. He was human. 
you know, I become vulnerable to God in my prayer journal. I write my feelings down. I do. So, and in my pen, yeah. Um, I try to make it look good, but ends up looking like chicken scratch half the time. Um, but he knows, he understands my chicken scratch. <laughs> um, you know, be blunt with God. Not disrespectful, but blunt. <laughs> he can take it, right, Brother Al? He can take it. <laughs> but we are in trouble if he can't take it. <laughs> the point is we really, truly need to be open with God and vulnerable with God because he knows anyways. Jesus, both God and human, when you look at the scriptures with this new paradigm in hand, you will see that Jesus was anything but an emotional frozen messiah. <laughs> he expressed emotion with unashamed, unembarrassed freedom. So what are some of the emotions Jesus experienced? Sadness. Hunger, anger. Hurt. I'm sure he, I'm sorry? He wept. He sure did. He cried for Lazarus and he cried for, for Jerusalem. Astonishment. He was astonished by the faith of the Canaanite woman. He did take a nap. <laughs> she said, forget y'all. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> hmm. I get hangry. <laughs> Maybe that's why he overturned the tables in part. <laughs> he he hadn't had his supper yet. <laughs> um, what else? Yes. He showed disappointment. That's right. Ye of little faith. Rejected. Love. How about frustration? <laughs> yes. He wasn't a really good king. You're thinking of Nathan. Yeah. He saw him there. Victory. Oh, yes. When he cursed it, yes. Oh, he, he was angry because he wanted food. He was angry. <laughs> he was angry. <laughs> That's right. He wanted some figs, and the tree didn't have any, and so he cursed it. And the next day, it was shriveled up. <laughs> he said, you did not give me food. Curse you. <laughs> yep, he was disappointed, and he was hangry. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, we need to make a meme on that, on that one. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I'm, I get disappointed when I don't get food. <laughs> uh, in our Christian walk, we continually affirm that the God named Jesus. The problem is that we rarely consider the human named Jesus or our own humanity. The Jesus we follow tends to be the God named Jesus, but we, do, we don't acknowledge the human part of him. One of the early church heresies was docetism, the belief that Christ had not really become human because the unsur uh, unsurmountable difference between the divine and human world. 
Some, therefore, thought that Jesus only seemed to be human but wasn't really human. So how was Jesus human? I mean, we kind of talked about it already, but he felt pain, right? He felt pain. When he was being nailed on that, on that cross, he felt pain. He was tortured. And imagine when he was there at the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in such distress that his sweat turned into blood. He was depressed. He was, I mean, he was feeling it. He was feeling the pressure. And he was feeling it as a human, okay? Because God could take it. But the human Jesus was feeling all the pressure. And the human Jesus bled. His sweat became blood. And he said, oh, you know, he said, let this cup pass from me. I really don't want to do this. That's what he said. I don't want to do this. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So we see again how he was emotional. He felt emotions, but he was spiritually and and emotionally mature. He, he knew, okay, not my will, but your will be done. Brother Kane? The Bible says that he was tempted in all points. So in that cross, he could have been thinking, oh, I would love to just come down and give him a piece of my mind. You know, think about it. In all points. <laughs> but, but, he didn't do it. He kept his mouth quiet, closed the entire time. Brother Belgrade. He fasted, hmm, bringing that flesh into submission. Another way of becoming emotionally and spiritually healthy. Sister Ellen, did you have your hand raised? Some people don't probably didn't even know how to deal with it, Sister Ellen. They probably didn't know how to deal with it themselves. So because they didn't know how to deal with it, they just said, you know what, just get over it. And it's uh, we have to be careful. We have to be really careful because they're God's people, and we don't want to offend God's people. You know, Brother Steve. 
you know. No. <laughs> no, you you sympathized with her and you went through some of that so you were able to minister to her and that's God allows us to go through things sometimes so that we are able to mi- better minister to other people. Amen. All right. So, where were we? We must be careful not to become over-spiritualized because we run the risk of running ourselves ragged to do more and more for God and avoid regarding negative feelings such as anger or depression as anti-God and avoid them. You know, when my brother passed away, I did run myself ragged. And people didn't know. At least (laughs) they didn't. And I felt like I had to, there was so much going on during that time. We, um, we had guest speakers. We had the ladies retreat. You know, the network of prayer was involved in that, trying to get stuff put together for that. And I was just going. I'm just going to do, 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 do. And I never gave myself any time to really mourn. My family was here, took care of them. And it was just several months before I actually mourned. Several months. And then it blew up in my face and in my husband's face. And it was ugly. It was really ugly. And I don't think I had ever been that ugly to my husband. It was horrible. And, you know, he he came to me. It was a church service. We were sitting over there. And you know, he was just ministering to everybody and praying, and he comes over to me, and he goes, do you want to go up and pray? I'll take care of the kids. And I said, no. (laughs) I mean, I'm already running around taking care of the kids. I haven't been spiritual during the service. (laughs) I've just been tending kids, you know, rambunctious kids. And I didn't feel like going up. I'm just being honest with you. I'm human. Sister Marie is not super spiritual. And, um, you know, he came by later and he says, are you okay? And I said, yep, I wasn't okay. Um, I went home and he says, okay, come out with it. You're not okay. What's going on? And I said, I'm fine. I said, no, you're not. (laughs) And I am not going to, you're not going to bed. And I'm not going to bed until you tell me what's going on. And this was months after, you know. And I just again, just let him have it. And I said, you now ask me if I'm fine. Now, months later, I've been doing, 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 and haven't had the chance to breathe, to let anything out, to talk about anything. And I mean, the poor man, I said, if you really want to know how I feel, I said, you need to talk to Jesus and ask him (laughs) and let him tell you how I feel. (laughs) <laughs> you better intercede because I really don't want to talk about this right now. I was feeling a whole bunch of emotions and I did not know how to put it into words. The poor man, you know what he did? He got on his knees. He did. He got on his knees right there on the bed, next to the bed, and he started interceding and crying out and saying, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry that I, you know, have been so blinded. I couldn't see what was going on with my wife. Please help me to understand what she's going through. Help me to see. Help me to comprehend. Help me to pray for her, to minister to her. 
And here he was crying out and praying. And I'm on the other side of the bed, turned over, sobbing, but not trying to move because I didn't want him to see me, you know. I didn't want to let out those feelings in front of him. Um, But, you know, the next day we sat down and we talked and he said, you know what? The next three days, you're not doing anything. We're not doing anything as a family. We're just going to relax. Literally, you're not doing anything. Go sleep. Go relax. Do something else that you haven't had the chance to do. Wow. Talk about load off, you know. And did it call for anything spiritual? No. It called for rest. And that's what I did. I rested. And I cried. And I cried. And I cried. And I hydrated. (laughs) And... And I cried some more, you know, but he was there. He was sensitive enough to to be able to see that. He prayed for me, but he also said, you know what? Prayer is not just enough. Let's do something about it so that you can be healthy. And that's what, and, and our time is running short here, but that's what we need to do. We need to be able to, we can't just suppress all these emotions. And like Sister Ellen said, you know, it's for some people it takes time to heal from a loss, from any kind of loss, from any kind of pain. We can't rush people into grieving faster. It happens in its time, in its course. And you've got to let people grieve. You've got to let people, you know, feel those emotions but be there lovingly. How can I help you? Is there anything that you need? And I'm not saying that people in the church were insensitive to what was going on with me. I was just really good at hiding all those feelings. I hope you guys understand that. You guys are being sensitive. I just bottled everything up and just decided I'm not going to open myself, become vulnerable to God or to myself. So that was it. I'm just going to rush because we're, I'm so sorry. Um, Okay, if you look at the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you will see a fully human Jesus, emotionally depressed, and we touched on this, mentally confused and spiritually overwhelmed. He is being pushed to the edge of his human limits. And we see him falling to the ground and being in anguish. He prayed more earnestly as his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Luke twenty-two forty-four. Have you ever considered Jesus to be under this kind of emotion, emotional stress? It is no wonder some people reject this fleshly human struggling, not always 100% sure of the will of God, Jesus. Our exterior and interior world. We need to be careful as Christians to be balanced when it comes to our outer and inner man. We tend to serve people, forgive people, humble ourselves and be joyful, but manage to be miserable much of the time and unable to admit this to anyone, including ourselves. Didn't I just mention that, what I was doing? Our inner world or person needs to be in sync with the outer behavior. The Bible has a word for this gap, a term that Jesus repeatedly used toward religious leaders, hypocrisy. It literally means play-acting. 
What is particularly frightening is that this play acting is often taught and expected in our churches. The result is that huge numbers of people are totally unaware of the contradiction between their exterior and interior world or person. Help us, Jesus. Are we really being what, who we say we are? Are we putting on airs? Are we faking our emotions because we don't want to become vulnerable? Mainly with Jesus. By exterior world, I'm referring to the people to whom we relate and the things going on around us. Our interior world is that which is going on inside us. The interior represents what we feel, value, honor, esteem, love, hate, fear, and believe in. To truly love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength requires that we know not only God, but also our interior, the nature of our own heart, soul, and mind. Doesn't the Bible say that the heart is wicked? Deceitful. Desperately wicked. And we have it right there on the other page, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Hmm. So we need to be open, open to God about that because he's the only one that can change it. As this present mo- at this present moment, do you know what your interior, the nature of your heart, soul, and mind is? And I don't want you to answer that out loud. <laughs> it is a yes and no, but I don't want anybody sharing that. <laughs> Be open with God about that one. <laughs> um, are your exterior and interior worlds one? What you're feeling inside, is it showing forth? And I'm not saying that you need to be depressed and stuff, but be true. Be true. Be true. There's been a lot of stuff that's happened here recently. You know, are we, <laughs> we don't want to, again, suppress those feelings. Let's be open. Let's give those unto the Lord. Let's really be open. We don't want to be holding these things in. It's not good for us. Our bodies can't take it. Understanding that that world of feelings, thoughts, desires, and hopes with all its richness and complexity is hard work. It also takes time, lots of it. Time in prayer, time in thought, time in making things right and changing behaviors. This is something that doesn't happen overnight or that can be accomplished in a few months. This is a lifelong thing. And you have to start it. That's the thing. You have to say, I have to be truly honest and open with God. And I have to start now. You can't say, well, I'll start doing that in a couple of months when I feel better, when I feel like I can open myself up to God. No, start now. Take baby steps. Take your prayer journal. You don't know what to say. Start writing stuff until the emotions come out. You can't voice them, write them out. Because that's what happens with me a lot of the times. I have all these emotions bottled up, and I don't know what to say because I'm afraid I'm going to say something that I shouldn't. But when I start writing out, it just starts flowing. Okay, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. And it's horrible. And then he starts speaking to me, and I write that too. As he's 
he is talking to me. I write the scripture and I write the words and, and then I start sobbing. You know, he's dealing with all those emotions right there with whatever issues are going on. So it's, some, it's something that requires effort and years of dedication to be in one with Jesus, the human and deity, and one in person, the inner and outer. The greatest dilemma is being too busy to actually do something. Wouldn't reflection time slow down the work of God? No. God is God. It's not going to slow down his work. God wants us to be whole for us to minister to broken and hurting people. And God can use the hurting, but there's always a danger of hurting others when, you're tr- when you haven't truly healed or haven't been made whole. And we just read that s- wonderful scripture. We were separated from God back in the Garden of Eden, separated from one another and split internally within ourselves. Shame, loneliness, hiding, self-protection, lying, and other emotional pain mark every one of us from the beginning of time. For this reason, it takes work, energy, and convenience, time, takes courage, solitude. It's going to take some solitude because you have to really look at yourself inside and a solid understanding of the grace of God in the gospel to grow in Christ-likeness. If we want our church to grow and be adults in the faith, we must become emotionally and spiritually healthy and then teach it to our disciples. For them to do the same. When you begin to feel emotions, don't, don't ignore them, but take it to the Lord in prayer. Remember, he was human and tempted, just like you and I. And let's just read the scripture here, Hebrews 4, 13 through 16. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Who are great examples of people in the word that were open with their emotions to God? And I'll just name, name a few. How about David? David wrote things out. <laughs> David first cursed everybody, and then he said, but Jesus, <laughs> oh, help him, or help me, <laughs> help me change. You know, there's a meme floating around in Facebook of David, you know, happy one moment, depressed the next. That's how the Psalms go, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord, and then I'm, I'm so horrible. Look at my life. But that's life. He expressed those emotions, but he gave them to the Lord, and the Lord worked on him. All right, be courageous today and allow the power of the gospel to penetrate the emotional component of our persons, to expose untouched areas of our iceberg. All right. It's been a great lesson. (laughs) I hope that